Eric Bischoff here again, telling you about our friends over at SaveWithConrad.com. Now, Conrad's always talking about how they are helping homeowners save money, but did you know that Conrad and his team can also help you become a homeowner? They make the home buying process more enjoyable than, I don't know, making out with Stephanie and Linda. Ouch! But don't take my word for it. I'm Willie Proctor, and I'm from Martinsburg, West Virginia. I came with uh, Save with Conrad to buy my first home. Is that once I, you know, listened to the podcast, or I was, I heard other testimonials and uh, how easy it was. So, and that was the whole process for me here was wanting for convenience. Oh, it was a, it was a pleasure. I mean, it was like working with family. It really was like, you know, being from West Virginia. You know, it's, it's all about family here, and and that's what it was like working with Conrad's team. You know, I worked with Larry, uh, Holly, and Francis. And they were just, it was just like, I thought I was talking to my aunt or, you know, talking to my dad, you know, it was, it was a great experience. Yeah, this is actually the house I grew up in. So that was kind of the whole thing. And my mom was moving to South Carolina, you know, she was, and she got stressed out about what to do with the house, how she was going to sell it, uh, get rid of everything. And I thought, you know what, I didn't want to see the house go. But at the same time, I wanted to make the process easy for me and easy for my mom. And working with Larry and the team, uh, they made it easy for both of us. Uh, hi, this is Willie Proctor, and I just bought my first house with SaveWithConrad.com. And unlike the dirt sheets, we're not making this up. Check out all the five-star reviews. Go to SaveWithConrad.com and do it today. You'll be grateful you did. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo! Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, I'm so excited, Conrad. Fall is here. Fall is in the air. The leaves are just beginning to turn. It was about 40 degrees last night. Woke up this morning. Had that all chill in the air. I'm so, this is my favorite time of year. So excited. I'm excited too, man. It's uh, it's football season. It didn't go my way a couple of weeks ago with Alabama. They got back on their winning ways this past weekend. Uh, and, you know, we don't usually talk about uh, pro sports or college sports much on this program. But right at the top, I got to ask, did you keep up with the Aaron Rodgers saga? Uh, and and, and what did you think? I did. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan, nor, nor am I a non-fan. Of I'm, I'm very neutral about Aaron Rodgers. I don't have a feeling about him one way or the other, but man, he's 39 years old. He's making this big comeback. He makes a move to the jets It's about as high profile as you can get in the NFL. Yeah. So much exciting, you know, anticipation. And it, I was excited for him and the team and I'm not a jets fan. I'm just a sports fan. And I thought, man, what a great story this could be. And to go out after four plays that way. And it's, I don't want to say it's career ending because he could come back, but man, how disappointing is it? And then on the other hand, uh, what's his, uh, the backup quarter name, backup quarterback's Zach, name? Was, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson steps up and has a fantasy game. You know, that, that's, a, that's a situation one can only fantasize about. So that I was excited for him, for the team to be able to pull out a win under those circumstances, but and I feel so bad for Aaron Rodgers. What a what a way to go out if indeed that's what's going to happen. He's out for the year. Not going to be play again this year. Whether or not he comes back is, I don't know, question mark. 
wow, what a horrible thing. And, you know, you're listening to a lot of the NFL players commenting on it. It's, they don't like turf, man. They yeah. want grass. Yeah, they do. And you gotta, at some point, somebody's going to have to listen because you can't afford these guys like your Rodgers. In the NFL, forget about the, just the Jets. The NFL, losing a guy like Aaron Rodgers is just, it's bad for business. Well, I, for one, can't wait to see what happens next. I know that um, I didn't expect the Jets to come back and win that game. And I also did not expect for them to set like a low-key Monday night football viewing record. I thought for sure, boy, with Aaron Rodgers going down, everybody's tuning out of this. And they didn't. It actually crushed Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Football set a record. Monday Night Raw was down to 1.3. It was uh, less than ideal. But it felt like a wrestling storyline, you know, just how he sort of called his shot and sort of played hokey pokey. And is he in? Is he out? And Green Bay. And then just puts it out into the into the atmosphere. I want to play for the Jets next year. And they make it happen. And the biggest media market in the world and here he comes and big entrance onto the field and 11 minutes later, it's all over. I mean, it was like the, the NFL version of bash at the beach, 2000. It's crazy. Can you imagine? <clears throat> and, I, and I can only try to imagine because I've never played team sports, but can you imagine the emotional roller coaster and just, just the, the pure adrenaline and emotion that was going through the New York Jets team. Such a letdown. Yeah. Such a devastating letdown emotionally. You're in the middle of the game. You can't just go crying your beer somewhere. You've got you to play. And then for Zach Wilson to come in and, and play as well as he did, it, it, talk about a roller coaster ride. No kidding. Wow. It's a movie. You know, it's, it's almost a movie. Yeah, well said. You know, I was telling my my wife, sort of catching her up on the saga and explaining, you know, how crazy this was during the course of the game. And that's that's the exact phrase I used. I said, this, this kind of feels like a movie. And speaking of movies, the next day, it was the first public appearance of Vince McMahon, sort of post-spinal surgery. And he looked a little bit like a movie villain. Standing up there uh, in New York ringing the bell at the stock exchange and beforehand doing the old Hulk Hogan down to the crowd cup in the ear. But there you see, if you're watching along with us on YouTube, got uh, Nick Khan and Vince McMahon and look in the back there over Vince's shoulder. That is our pal, Kevin Dunn. Uh, and then on the right, uh, you see, uh, the one and only triple H. I found this to be a pretty historic thing, man. You know, I mean, there's been lots of crazy reporting about all this. Oh, WWE sales. Well, that's not really what happened. It was a merger with another company, but they did create more value. I guess that means the WWE's valuation is roughly nine billion of the twenty-one billion for the new TKO stock price. What uh what did you think, man? It was sort of the end of the territories here, is it not? Like that's the last one. WWE's no longer a family owned business. Yeah, I'm a little conflicted. You know, and people can say whatever they want about Vince McMahon. A lot of people have a lot of opinions, strong ones. I cannot help but admire the man. And to just step back and, and realize what Vince has accomplished over the decades, purchasing the company from his father, 
breaking the paradigm, stepping outside of the territory structure and going national. So many big things that Vince did that has, you know, everybody talks about changing the business. Few people have really changed the business. Without question, Vince did. And to see it reach the level of success and value, as well as the impact that WWE has had, professional wrestling has had, but because of WWE, really, WWE has led the charge for the growth and the change in the industry. And to see it reach the point where there's a merger that's now worth $21 billion and Vince is up there with Paul Levesque and the picture of Kevin Dunn behind Vince's shoulder, I was going to point out that anybody that has that picture should keep it and frame it because it may be one of the only times that you'll see a picture of Kevin Dunn smiling. Kevin doesn't smile a lot. And that's probably because I'm with him, you know, or I was with him in the heat of the battle in production, but this guy is a very, very serious dude, right? To see him, like, he looked like an eight-year-old kid, you know, popping up over daddy's shoulder. Um, so I'm really happy for WWE. Amazed at the success that they had, but part of me is like, oh, no. It's like the last vestige of what we've grown up with. WWE being an independent family-owned business initially, and then a public company, and now the merger. Vince is no longer the largest shareholder and certainly still has a lot of power and oh, influence yeah. Control over a lot of things that people probably don't realize at this moment, but that that handoff, seeing that company go from family business to a public company and now a part of another company, it was kind of bittersweet for me. I'm happy for everybody involved. Everybody got a big payday. I think the company's probably going to be stronger now than it would have been otherwise. WWE, a lot of leverage now, a lot of benefits, a lot of upside, a lot of growth potential. It was just a little bittersweet. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, of course, almost immediately, they announced that Frank Riddick was out. Uh, the now former, I suppose, WWE president and CFO. I can't help but wonder if that was some of those, uh, maybe step one, maybe the biggest possible step uh, towards uh, creating some of those efficiencies. Because, well, if it's one new company, you probably don't need two CFOs. Uh, but there's a lot of concern about what other, you know, departments will be combined and what, what do you expect and when would you expect? And I know that you don't have any inside information. You're just sort of guessing, but what do you think? What, what would you expect next? Just based on my limited experience, having been a part of a merger, two separate occasions, um, first time more than AOL. I don't think you'll see the majority of the changes for another three, four, five, six months. It takes time. Obviously, you know, obviously Frank Riddick, as you pointed out, you, one company doesn't need two CFO. Right. Um, but I think the, the real changes will probably be seen in administration because that's where there's most likely duplication to entities. So I think you, you at the administration level, your mid-level management team, yeah, you're gonna, you're probably going to see some over the next two or three, four, five, six months. But I, you know, I don't think it's going to affect creative. Um, 
almost certain of that. I don't think it's going to affect the things that people see on television. It's more about the way the business operates behind the scenes, stuff that none of us ever talk about or know about. That's where it's going to happen. But I think it's, it's going to be slow. I don't think you're going to see wholesale changes within the next 30 days. I think you'll see changes that are going to occur consistently over the course of the next six months. Well, one of the changes we saw this past weekend, uh, or this past week rather, was the inclusion of Becky Lynch on the NXT program. Not only did she show up at NXT, she won the NXT ladies belt and uh, the ratings came out and they did like 850,000 viewers. That is uh, a lot stronger than collision on Saturday. And at least within spitting distance, as we say here in the South with dynamite, uh, upon seeing the rating, I think Becky tweeted out Rebecca ratings. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think of a strategy like that. We're going to take one of our biggest stars, one of our biggest draws, and we're going to put it on our developmental show. That seems like a very smart move that. Inside the bubble, wrestling fans are going to say, oh, they're doing this to mess with AEW. And everyone will make the comparison I just did. Certainly, it's healthy from an advertiser perspective. But more importantly, if all of a sudden there is a renewed focus on these television rights, now that we've got this merger out of the way, you're probably looking to set up as many ringers like this as you can right now, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's, I mean... Television rights negotiations aside, I'm surprised they haven't done it sooner because it's great for that developmental talent to be on a show with someone like Becky Lynch, get the eyeballs on it, to feel the energy, you know, and and to have something big happening on a show where otherwise, you know, this is a developmental company, NXT division, I guess. It, It doesn't get a lot of attention. And it's certainly got a lot of attention this week. And I, I think you're absolutely right, Conrad. I think the timing is pretty obvious. We're, we're in the middle of the we want to increase our value. What better way to do it than to set a record or yeah. two or three or four by, by integrating some of that top talent. And I love the way they did it. I watched most of the match itself. And it, yes, Becky won, but it didn't hurt anybody. It mm-hmm. elevated everybody. I, it was a really smart move. I'd be shocked if we don't see more of it. And I, I welcome it because it's it's great for that development of talent to have that kind of energy and that kind of focus and attention. Where are you at on uh, Tiffany Stratton? I dig her. I mean, it seems to me like she's can't miss. I got to think she's going to crush it on the main roster. I mean, I could even see, you know, one of the WrestleMania night main events. I'm not saying this coming year, but at some point. Her versus Rhea. I mean, you're talking two super young, phenomenal athletes, great looks. I mean, th- this could be a mainstream attraction that feels like a crossover type match. And I just love that both of those ladies are so doggone young and so good, so doggone young. Like the future is really bright for the WWE women's division, is it not? It is. And the future is bright for WWE in general. Look yeah. at, you know, Ron Breaker in NXT. I mean, this guy could be upper third of the roster or better anytime somebody decides they want him to be and pick up the phone and call him up. And he's such a great talent and has so much potential. It's almost like they're building demand for him. You know, they they want the audience to want him. 
on the main roster. That's a great position. So excited for Braun and Tiffany and and the whole roster at NXT because it 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 proves to them that they they actually have a shot. This can happen. It's real for them. And I I, I wish I could just be a fly on the wall just to kind of experience some of the energy and the excitement. They just have such a wealth of talent. You know, we talked about this several weeks ago, but I guess it was around SummerSlam maybe. But there's so much talent right now with uh, with WWE. I mean, this might be the most loaded roster that I've ever seen them have. And then you take a look at developmental, and there's like Tiffany Stratton, and you're like, well, she's going to be in the main events. They just have a wealth of talent. And if you're looking for the secret to wealth preservation, then look no further than our next partner, Nationwide Coins. Today's episode is sponsored by Nationwide Coins, and Nationwide Coins sells government gold at cost. All new customers receive their first ounce of gold without any dealer markup. And if you're not sure where to start, well, Nationwide Coins has precious metal consultations uh, on staff. So you can actually talk to these consultants. That's right. You can call them to help guide you through the right gold purchase for your unique situation. And I got to say, we, uh, we have not been... Uh, doubling down on this in my household, but my, my grandfather did, and I have an uncle who did, and I never really got it until I started to learn more about Nationwide Coin. And I got to tell you, I got one. Uh, it's pretty cool, and I recommend it. Now I'm start- it's starting to click. Nationwide Coin is one of the nation's lindi- leading precious metal firms. It's got over 100 years of combined experience in the precious metals industry, And nobody knows more about gold and silver than Nationwide. So I've learned a lot. So whether you're looking to hedge against inflation, and I think everybody is, maybe you're just trying to plan for retirement or you're looking to create generational wealth, well, give Nationwide Coins a call today. They're also the exclusive supplier of Don Everhart's signature coins. At the U.S. Mint's lead sculptor from 04 to 17, Don is pretty much the most respected name in modern coins. And listen, you don't have to take our word for it. Nationwide Coins has thousands of satisfied customers. They've got an A-plus rating with the BBB. They've even got a 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. This is not a fly-by-night operation, Nationwide Coins. This is a real company you can trust. And Nationwide Coins is uh, proudly partnered with Operation Finally Home. That's a charitable organization that designs and constructs custom homes for veterans in needs. And, uh, well, just selfishly, they also offer free shipping and insurance on all their orders. So there's some peace of mind there, too. If you've been thinking about exploring gold, head right now to nationwidecoins.com slash 83 weeks and use the promo code 83 weeks at checkout for the first one ounce gold coin without any dealer markup. That's nationwidecoins.com slash 83 weeks. One last time for this exclusive offer. That's nationwidecoins.com slash 83 weeks. And use our promo code 83 weeks. And if you call, don't forget to mention our promo code 83 weeks, or they won't know that we sent you. Eric, gold, man. That's uh, something everybody could use a little more of right now, huh? Absolutely. When I first heard about this and the fact that Nationwide was going to be a, a partner, on 83 weeks, I told Lori, um, I'm going to start buying one coin a month for our grandson, AJ. Just 12 coins a year, just stick them away, stick them away. And 
you know, it'll be a nice little nest egg by the time he's 18 or 21 years old. Kind of I, cool. I love it. Check it out, guys. You'll be glad you did. It's nationwidecoins.com slash 83 weeks. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So Eric, we've talked a little bit about uh, NXT and 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 their move towards Becky Lynch being the ladies' champ. We talked about the new merger and maybe what to expect with TKO. We talked about Aaron Rodgers. Well, is there anything else worth talking about? I guess there is. Boy, we wouldn't be uh, the wrestling business if there wasn't a controversy once a week, <laughs> so it seems. Well, the latest controversy is about the number of folks who were in Wembley. I can't believe we're still talking about this, but uh, AEW has put it loud and proud, and I think Will Ospreay actually even got a tattoo bragging about the fact that they're the largest paid attendance in the history of a wrestling show, 81,035 tickets sold. That's what was put out into uh, the universe. That was the largest paid attendance. Now, I'm sure a lot of people clued in on the word paid and wondered, why would he say that? And I know for sure... Because whenever I was with you out in Denver and we're talking to some different ad agencies and I'm bragging on the fact that Jeff Jarrett is about to wrestle in front of the largest crowd in wrestling history, you can't help yourself. And you go, <clears throat> North Korea, which made me laugh. Um, but yes, that is the difference. I, I don't, I don't think and that's a cool. big deal. I mean, admittedly, no, I joke about it, but it's, a big it's really not fair to compare, you know, 350,000 North Koreans in attendance for a two-day event to a, a, a real event where people are actually deciding to spend their own money. They have the a North choice. Koreans were there because, well, the North Korean government told them to be there. Yes. It's a little different. <laughs> it's a lot different. Uh, well, so are the numbers that have come out that, hey, um, there may have been 81,035 tickets sold. I don't think anybody would misrepresent that. But there are a lot of naysayers during the show who would say, well, I see a section of empty seats. And if you go back and you look at WrestleMania three, you can see empties of section, uh, sections of empty seats. That doesn't necessarily mean those tickets weren't sold. Certainly an event this big, you're going to have and an event that's been on sale as long as that was, you're going to have a certain percentage of folks that just don't show up. 
You know, they're just no shows. I don't know what that percentage yeah. is, but that exists. And we also know that sometimes scalpers go out and they'll buy blocks of tickets and then sort of misjudge the appetite for those tickets and some assumptions are made and they wind up taking a nail. I mean, they just speculated on a business and it wasn't a huge win for them perhaps, but I don't really know how to explain this. I'm curious. 10,000 di- ticket. Come on now. Yeah. So it comes out from the freedom of information, public records request that, uh, and, and WrestleNomics was the first to report this. Of course, uh, those cats are, uh, are tight with Chris Harrington and AEW. Uh, but they said that the uh, Brent Council, which is the local authority for the Bureau uh, located in the greater London area, responded to the request for the turnstile numbers. And the number of folks through the turnstile that night, 72,265. Now, to be clear, turnstile just means how many people came through the entrance. That doesn't necessarily mean how many tickets they sold. And I don't think there was ever any formal announcement of what the actual attendance was. They just talked about the paid attendance. So, boy, that's got the conspiracy theory people really going. Um, I don't know why this is as important as people are making it out to be, but certainly it is the latest controversy. As a reminder, the big number that AEW was trying to beat, uh, that they were pretty proud about, was what happened at WrestleMania 32 in Dallas. And that was announced way back when as being 101,763 for attendance. But in reality, 80,709 fans came through the turnstile, according to the Dallas police force, as I understand it. So it's a big doggone difference between, you know, 80,000 and 101,000. But that's the number that AEW was sort of puffing their chest out. We beat 80,709. We had 81,035. <laughs> like 300 <laughs> tickets more. Yeah. And a lot of folks now are wondering, as our friend Hurricane would say, what's up with that? So <laughs> I, I, I ask you, because I know you're not necessarily a conspiracy theorist, but You've promoted a thing or two. How do you think this happens, Eric? Let's go back and look at history. You know, WWE has, over the decades, inflated attendance figures. Of course. For marketing purposes or headlines or PowerPoint presentations. There's value in being able to point to record numbers of anything. Internally, it has a lot of value. Externally, it helps create a perception. That's why WWE has done it for decades. And they get caught. Everybody busts their chops and points it out, makes a big deal out of it, questions it. And now we've got AEW. I don't want to say overinflating anything. I'm not accusing them, by the way. But I'm just looking at the reality and the facts, connecting a couple dots here that are a little bit obvious to me. Again, I'm not not criticizing, I'm not condemning, I'm not even saying I'm sure I'm right. But I have a pretty strong suspicion that that 10,000-seat discrepancy isn't represented by someone going, you know, I'm going to spend $300 for this ticket, and eh, fuck it, I'm not going to go. 
I'm going to stay home and watch it on TV instead. You're going to have some, some situations where someone gets sick or there's an illness in the family or whatever. There's going to be situations where a, a percentage, a small, small percentage of people who actually bought a ticket with the intention of going decided for whatever reason not to go. It's human, right? Shit happens. But I can also see a situation where a promoter would say, I really need this record. We're, we're a new company. We're growing. I want to be able to say outperform WWE. I have to be able to say that. I want to be able to say that. And by the way, I get more money than I can count. I get more money than I can spend in a couple of lifetimes. And, and, I, and I did sell 72,000 tickets. And by the way, let's not look, look down our nose at that. That in itself is a massive number and is cause for success and celebration. But the fact that Tony came out so quickly after the event and pointed out the fact that you know, WWE is no longer number one in the market and you're and now whatever it is he said, something to the effect of proving that we're real competition. Yeah, I just feel that my sense is that need for hype and spin and in Tony's case, constant comparison to WWE, given the fact that he's got more money than he could spend in his lifetime. I know what I would do. I'd buy those tickets. Oh, I did the same thing. I would do it. If I was in Tony's shoes and I really wanted that record and I had all the money in the world and I'm not financially accountable for anything. <laughs> Am I going to buy 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 tickets so that I can have bragging rights? When you're that close to the finish line and all you've got to do is stroke a check that doesn't matter to you. Well, would you, would I do it? I'm here to tell you I would. And I'm not blaming Tony for doing it. If in fact he did, it's business, it's marketing, it's promotion. It's the wrestling business, folks. It we see it in government, see it in, at every level in politics, we see it in movie marketing. There's always an angle. There's always a spin. And and if if I were to have done it, again, if I was in Tony's shoes, I absolutely would. And somebody called me out on it. I wouldn't deny it. Wouldn't try to hide it. Because then, then you lose credibility and no one's going to believe anything you say. But I'd also say it's marketing, folks. It's a wrestling business we're in. Yeah, I mean, listen, you, I think you're exactly right. Like, I've heard of concert promoters before who would be a few tickets shy of a sellout. They just have somebody buy them to get it there. And I've even heard in the book industry that way back in, way back in the day, in order to get on the New York Times bestseller list, you had to sell X number of books. I heard of some authors who really just wanted to be able to call them. They're independently wealthy folks uh, who just happen to have written a book now. And it's just a strategy that they want to, when they get out on a speaking tour or whatever, they can say, oh, New York Times bestselling author, so-and-so. They just go buy that many books. And ta-da. It's just, mar- it's just marketing. Yeah. And I know that people will not hear what you're saying there and they'll think that you're taking a shot, but I, th- I mean, I never even considered that, but the real quick math says that's like 326 tickets different. 
So like, uh, let's say hypothetically, I'm saying what we went with on the turnstile number for WrestleMania 32 compared to this all in number. I think I'm with you, dude. If I'm a thousand tickets away, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not a billionaire and I'd be like, shit, I'm doing that. Are you kidding? I can claim that record forever. I mean, by the way, it just means I owe myself money. (laughs) You know, it's it's an accounting (laughs) thing. Like it's not like you're actually spending the money. You're, you're spending it from your account and putting it in your other account. There's no difference. So I'll be honest. That never really can. Cause everybody just immediately jumped on the whole, Oh, they've got to be lying about the number. And I thought, I don't think they're lying about the number, but what you just said makes a lot of sense. Shit. Yeah. Why not write a little check and claim that record. And by the way, whatever the real number is, as you said, it should be celebrated. This is incredible. Absolutely. Like if we, if, if the number 81,035 was never on the table and it was always just 72, whatever it is, just 72. Are you serious? Like when that show was first announced, I had so many conversations with people who said, man, if they could get to 40 and other people would say, oh, can you imagine a world where they got to 50? They got to 72, like on some level. It's still an incredible record. It's an incredible opportunity. And I don't mean bigger record in wrestling. I just mean for AEW. Like, you know, here in the States, they've done TV shows where there's 3,000 folks there. And to now go international and it be your first, you know, stab at the market and do 70-something thousand high fives all around. But you're right, Eric. If you're close, it's marketing. Why not? Yeah, and and unfortunately... You know, wrestling internet universe being what it is, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people are going to, as you said, the conspiracy theorists and naysayers are all going to come out and start ripping this to shreds, especially because you know the information came via a Freedom of Information Act, not some jag off sitting behind a computer trying to convince the world he knows something about the wrestling industry. This is... It's, you know, it's as legit as you could get. And unfortunately, that's what the chatter is going to be about. And it's going to, to, in, to, to a certain degree, cast kind of a negative shadow over what should otherwise be nothing but cause for celebration. Yeah, I totally It's, agree. it's unfortunate, but it comes, hey. And again, I, I point out Tony coming out so quickly, taking credit for that 81,000 number. I don't know. It's just, it's too bad because that's what people are reacting to. If, if, if AEW would have not spent so much time promoting it. And I, and again, I would have done the same thing. Okay. This is hindsight being 2020. This isn't being smarter than anybody else. This is just common sense, but to come out so quickly and to, in the pound that down everybody's throat and to, to make sure the world knew when in fact, number isn't really that. That's where the negativity is going to come from. And I would have done the same thing. So I'm not calling it a mistake. I think in retrospect, it probably end up being one to a certain degree. Look, Tony's still going to be able to go into a negotiation with a big arena somewhere or another building and, and point to this fact. Whether it's 72,000 or 81,000, it won't matter. And by the six months from now, when he's sitting in a meeting and he's pitching AEW to somebody, some entity, some venue, whatever it is, no one's going to dissect the 81,000. We're going to take it at face value. But 
it's just unfortunate. You know, I, I hate to see, sounds funny coming from me, right? Because everybody thinks I hate Tony or hate AEW, and I actually don't. It's the opposite. But I just approach things a little differently. Your average wrestling fan. But um, hopefully in another week or two, this all this chatter will die down. Well, it's uh, it's something to be celebrated, but it is going to give us something to talk about. Uh, and so is ad-free shows. Uh, I saw some chatter the other night on social, Eric, of you responding to something Larry Zabisco may have said of one of our recent Q&As over at adfreeshows.com. You see over there, we've got tons of bonus content from our current podcast host that you see. We've got a bunch of special series. Uh, we have something called false finish. I uh, just recently sat down with Zach Gowan and got his full story in professional wrestling. And we've done that a few times with guys like Chris Harris and Glacier. We just did an insiders not too long ago with the artist who drew some of the more iconic WWF pay-per-view posters and helped in the art department and the costume department. He created the costumes for like Razor Ramon and Papa Shango. Stay tuned for my conversation with Tom Fleming. We've also just recently put a couple of uh, different episodes of the book in the can where we talk about when the Jim Crockett promotions outfit went to the NWA meeting and said, Hey, uh, moving forward, you can't just have the champ anymore. If you book the champ, you're going to book half of our roster and we're going to be 50, 50 partners. And then they tried that experiment with the Fullers and with Don Owen and with Vern Gagne and with the Jarrett's. And we talk about how it all happened and what shook out in the big controversy between Vern and the Crockett's at um, that unbelievable super show they did, Super Clash in Chicago at Comiskey Park, and how the very next day they did the hottest angle in JCP history where they put hard times on dusty roads. And we really had almost like a creation of the four horsemen there. All of that is available at adfreeshows.com. But this clip I wanted to share with the audience. Uh, we had Larry Zabisco on, and we were talking about who the real creator of the NWO was. And I want to play that clip for you right now, Eric. I'm the one that programmed the whole angle. I mean, I was doing some, when I first, yeah, they had a, a meeting in the back one day, and I found out what was going on with Scott Hall coming in and they had some idea. And then Eric looked around and said, anybody got anything to say? And I raised my hand and he went, Oh God, what? And I laid out a different idea. I programmed the whole beginning, how Scott Hall came in and then Nash and six pack. And Eric went, Eric goes, Oh God, this pisses me off. Your idea is so good. And I thought about mine for months. Ah! But he listened to me, and I'm the one that programmed the whole beginning of the NWO. And even in promos, right when, right before it happened, right when it came out, I went, oh, my God, there's going to be a new world order in wrestling. And Eric heard that, and it stuck in his head, and he went, that's the perfect name for this. But, you know, inadvertently, I named the NWO, and I programmed the whole beginning of that scenario that got be the hottest, biggest thing in wrestling. Well, there you go, Eric. We've got the full interview with Larry Zabisco, plus thousands of other hours of bonus content. You can check it all out right now with this special offer, courtesy of 83 Weeks. New subscribers can save 20% off their first month 
by going to ericsave20.com. That's 20% off one month right now at ericsave20.com. Eric, uh, ad-free shows, man. There's something for everybody over there. Just earlier this week, as you and I are recording, we had uh, JR on uh, with uh, all of our top guys and answering their questions. And a good time was had by all. There's something for everybody at AFS, no? There is. There is. But <clears throat> I, I, I truly, truly, I have a strong affection for Larry. I like Larry a lot. I have great memories working with Larry and hanging around with Larry, flying airplanes with Larry. I, I like Larry a lot. However, That is the most ridiculous thing I've heard. And I mean, Larry and Greg Gagne are now competing world absurdity award. This is just insanely silly to me. Larry was never involved in creative. Now, Larry would have an idea here and there. Most of the time it would involve Larry, by the way, because anytime Larry would corner me, or ask for a meeting. And again, we were friends. So it's not like, you know, I, I stiff armed him or anything like that. It was the opposite. But anytime Larry came to me with something, it was always involved him getting back into the ring. Right. That's what Larry was focused on. Larry never came to a creative meeting. I don't think he had been in the CNN center more than three or four times throughout his entire tenure there. And probably then it was to produce something in post-production down in the studio. It's just silly. And I hope Larry was high as fuck when he did it, because that's at least understandable. But he didn't sound high to me. And he just sounded like a lot like a lot of other people take credit for other people's work. And I think in Larry's mind, he you know, part of what Larry said was true. You know, Larry did refer to the new, uh, not, not the new world order as we came to know it, but Larry did make a comment in, in commentary at one point about the new world order. And it did stick in my head and it came out in my, um, my preparation with Hulk Hogan right before Hulk went out to cut the promo. You know, the world, the, the, the phrase is the new world order, professional wrestling just kind of rolled off my tongue. And I went, whoa, that's pretty freaking cool. That part is absolutely true, by the way. But as far as programming anything, Larry didn't know anything about what was going on. I, I kept all of it. See, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell, I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want the word to get out. I certainly wouldn't have consulted with Larry. And the idea that there was a big meeting in the back and I was asking for ideas Come on now, Larry, there's a lot of people that worked in that environment all at the same time that know that that's just silly. So whatever, you know, this is interesting because I, I, there are people that I really am close to that I've heard tell stories. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, that, that never happened. Right. It certainly didn't happen the way you're laying it out. And these are people that are really good friends of mine. In some cases, some of my best friends that are still some of my best friends. And I hear them and I'm going, oh, 
but I'm not going to call them out on it because I think to some degree they've started to believe it. They've had enough interviews and they've talked to enough people and they're asked enough questions that they start repeating variations of the truth and build upon as Larry did here by the fact, you know, he did come out and use the term new world order and a week later or whatever it was. I, I used it. That, that part is true, but to take that kernel of truth and then build a castle on it. I think people do that just because they, it makes them feel good about themselves. And I don't want to take that away from anybody, but I, I can't sit here and listen, listen to it and not respond out. For what it is. It's just, Larry, <laughs> Larry is in Larry land. Larry land is a real thing. Those of you that watch Larry Zabisco in the AWA will know that Larry land is a real thing. Zabisco. Heard an example of it, but I love you, Larry. I'll, I'll always, we'll always laugh and joke and talk about the great times when we see each other. You know, I may even hit your bong once in a while, but uh, come on now. Unre- unrelated question completely, but uh, are you a Metallica fan? No. Okay. I was just wondering who do you think could have been the best bass player Metallica ever had, but you're not really a big fan. So, uh, Michael. Oh, oh, okay. I see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and I think it's inherent in, in wrestling personalities, especially ones that have been around for a long time out there cutting promos back in the seventies or the eighties, probably or in the nineties. And you're in your character and you're trying to create excitement. You're trying to sell tickets and you're trying to sell out pay-per-views. You're constantly in the selling mode. Yes. And then you leave the industry and you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, you're still in that selling mode and making something that didn't happen seem like it did because you're selling you're, That's just the way you're wired. I, and I get that. I've caught myself sometimes going, wait a minute, did it really happen the way I think it happened? Or do I want to think it happened the way it didn't happen? You know, it's, it, it happens. You know, I, I don't hold it against Larry or anybody else. I really- Me neither. I'm entertained by it. I think it's fun. Uh, Michael wants to know, Eric, what are some of the nicknames you've had over your life? Like we know Easy E on TV, but what else? Uh, all through high school in college, it was just Bish. Oh, okay. And occasionally on the high school wrestling dish, uh, wrestling team, it was Bish the Fish. Was, <laughs> on a good day, I was pretty average wrestler. Uh, and on a bad day, it was a bad day. So, yeah, Bish is Bish is the one that uh, probably stuck with the largest part of my life. I've never really had a lot of other. Dickhead, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Like that. <laughs> I've heard those before. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jim in Buffalo wants to know on a recent AFS special, Larry Zabisco said he never saw Goldberg pin Hogan at the Georgia Dome because by the time the match happened, he was halfway home to Alpharetta. Was it common for Larry to leave Nitro over the first hour? And as EP, what did you think about that? Well, Larry had to hurry up and get home because he had to come up with the next really big idea that would change the wrestling industry. So, you know, it was no problem for me, you know, having Larry leave early because I knew he was concentrating on that next really big idea because he was such a creative genius. But um, it didn't bother me, you know. Um, I, I, I wasn't one of those that expected 
people to stick around and watch the last match. You hope they want to. And in the case of someone like Larry, who was in commentary, I think it would be important for him to know what really happened. But here's the reality. He could watch a tape of it. He could get the information from somebody else that was there. He's going to get direction from a producer uh, when he's doing a stand-up or when he's doing voiceovers. It'll keep him you know, in the loop. So it, you know, is it disappointing? Yeah, kind of it is because it says a lot about what someone like Larry really thought about the product, or more importantly, how invested he was in the product. That was a big event. I mean, that was, you know, 141,000 people, I think. Oh, listen to you. Will you stop it? it? (laughs) Well, no, I mean, here's the thing, though. I was going to say, and I know people are going to be critical of this, but I'll just say it. I'll tell you when, when, I mean, I've been a season ticket holder for Alabama for a long, long time. Well, there's over a hundred thousand folks that can cram in that stadium. So if it's like start of the fourth quarter and Alabama's up 21 points, I look over at dad and I'm like, you want to beat the traffic? Because I know if I don't leave right then and I hang around, it's going to add an extra three hours to my journey. Yes. I don't know if I go right now, I can do it. And we're not just talking about a, a special show at, center stage, you're talking 40 something thousand people who are all going to be trying to leave the parking garage at the exact same time. And you live right now, Ferretta. So, Hey man, let's beat the traffic. I can watch the nitro replay tonight and maybe hit said bong you referenced earlier and be just fine as opposed to watching it on a tiny monitor backstage. So, and that's, that is so that is right on the money. Conrad. I didn't even think about that aspect of it, but that is so true. And back then, you know, Georgia Dome was kind of, it was relatively new. And I was just in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. And it amazes me how massive that city has become. But what's interesting about Atlanta, you know, I lived there for eight or nine years, is the infrastructure of that city. You know, the highways, the streets, the, the traffic patterns, all of that, even the sewage system. Because when you get a half an inch of rain or an inch of rain in Atlanta and you've got standing water up and down the highway all the way into town, downtown Atlanta, it was hard to get in and out of the Georgia Dome yeah. back then. So that, that is a legitimate reason for wanting to leave early. And I, I wouldn't hold it against somebody. And as you pointed out, I didn't even think about that. Watch it on a replay. So I get it. It, it didn't bother me. It wouldn't have bothered me. I, you know, I used to do it even in WWE. Yeah. You know? I mean, allegedly they had to call you back for something once, right? Well, no, I don't think they called me back. What happened was I had left early because I had to, I had to drive to the next. Oh, you know what? This was the rumble where Vince tore his shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where it was no, the- no, that wasn't it either. It was a different event. So no, because I saw when Vince tore his quads, I was there. I watched them. Okay. Bring them, okay. Bring them out on a stretcher. <clears throat> it was another event. Something happened in the ring. Vince want, called an audible, wanted me to come in as the general manager and make a statement that kind of would tie everything together, at least a little bit. And I had already left because yeah. I was, I had another building to go to. I had, I had about a four hour drive and it was midnight and I had to get up early the next morning, and go to wherever else I was going. Anyway, I left early and I got back to my hotel room and I'm just getting settled in and a bottle of water. I just turned on TV and then my cell phone rings and it's Vince. and. Uh, 
I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, but I remember how I felt. I felt like shit. I felt like I let my dad down. Yeah. I really did. And from that point forward till the day I left in whatever year it was, 2006 or 2007, 2006, I think it was. Every time that main event started, I would go up into Gorilla. I would stand in the corner out of the way near the entrance, and I would wait for the bell to ring, signifying the match was over. I did not leave Gorilla until after the show was over. Not only did I stay in the building and be available backstage, I stood in the corner in Gorilla every single Monday night from that call forward because I felt so horrible. Well, if you want to feel a little better every morning, can I recommend one delicious scoop of AG1? It's a dabble, do you folks? We've all grown up hearing that, but it's really true here. Think about all the benefits you're going to get with just one scoop of AG1 in a cup of water. Think of it as like one micro habit with macro results. Seriously, AG1 replaces your multivitamin, your probiotic, and everything else you need in one simple drinkable habit. They've got a science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. And AG1 has really just raised the standard for quality in the supplement category. It's a foundational nutrition supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health. And we mean whole body health. If you're looking for better gut health, maybe you want to boost an energy, maybe you want to support that immune system. Maybe you just hate taking pills and vitamins and you want something that actually tastes good. Well, AG1's for you. My wife does it on her way to the gym every morning on those random days where she oversleeps and is late getting out the door. Occasionally, she'll forget to take her AG1 and she tells me she can feel a big difference. And I've noticed a difference in my productivity. Man, I would lose clarity and focus. It feels like my afternoon brain just turns to mush around 3.30. I need a little cat nap to keep me going. Not anymore, thanks to AG1. I'm as sharp at the end of the day as I was at the beginning of the day. I can tell a difference when I miss AG1. I recommend you try it. I think you're going to feel like you can take on the day. I think it's going to help you with your strength and your focus and your clarity and your energy, all of that stuff. And it happens because you really set yourself up for success when you start your day with 75 of these high quality ingredients. Think about that. So here's the deal. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase when you go to drinkag1.com slash 83 weeks. That's drinkag1.com slash 83 weeks. They're a longtime sponsor here on the program because it really works. Everybody I know who's using AG1 loves it, and you will too. That's drinkag1.com slash 83 weeks. Let's do another question here. Uh, Dylan Leahy has a great question about modern wrestling. He wants to know who is the WWE's top guy right now? Is it Cody? Is it Roman? Is it LA Knight? Yeah. Or is it someone else? Yeah, there's probably, there's multiple answers to that. No wrong answer. No, there's no wrong answer. I think for the future, LA Knight. I think LA Knight's going to end up being a massive star. He's not yet. He's a big star. He's a huge star, but he's not as big as he's going to be in the future. So he he is a massive star in the waiting room, right? Roman Reigns certainly is the man right now. 
That's where the focus is. Cody's got to be the guy. As of right now, Cody is the future of WWE over the next 24 to 36 months, for sure. What happens after that, who knows? Injuries, other opportunities, other stars that come out of the woodwork, kind of like LA Knight has. Now, there, who knows what the future is? But I think plans, I would imagine, again, I don't talk to anybody in WWE about creative stuff, but I would imagine most of the planning and the conversations are all around Cody and what's going to happen. And by that metric alone, I would say Cody. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with the main event next year, because on the one hand, you know, we know that, that Roman's going to be in one of those. There's still some hope, I suppose, that they could pull something off with the rock. I'm not super optimistic about that, but you've also got Cody, who I think most people believe is going to be there, but it's a two night WrestleMania. So What's LA Knight going to do? And how does that affect the ladies? I mean, normally ladies are going to help close one of the nights or at least be a co-main event. We know this past year we had the, the tag match with uh, Kevin and Sammy against the Bloodline and the Usos. And then the next night, of course, we had Roman and Cody. But it's a great problem to have, but it, it is <laughs> one that makes you scratch your head like, hey, of all these top guys, what is going to be the main event? And it almost makes me think of like, Peak WCW, where you had Flair and you had Hogan and you had Savage and you had Goldberg and you had Sting and you had DDP and Dan, 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 Dan. It's like, dude, is there such a thing as too much talent? Like, that's a great problem to have when we can't really call, like, what will be night one and what will be night two. It wasn't that long ago. That was a little easier to forecast. I don't know if that's the case right now. Yeah, and it's, it, it, it kind of trickles down into the audience as well. That's one of the great things about professional wrestling, and I think why it has endured as much as it has, is because wrestling fans are so invested in the product. And they all have their different opinions. And each one of the people that we're talking about are valid options, like great options, you know, to, to, to put at the very top of either night. And as you said, man, what a a great problem to have. How'd you like to wake up and bang your head on your desk trying to figure that one out every day? Awesome. It's uh it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, what what they do with LA Knight next too. There's been lots of rumor and innuendo out there that maybe he's looking for a new contract and maybe they're the two sides are far apart on money. I don't know what's real or not real. Uh, it's been reported he's got time left on his deal either through next year or the following year. But certainly, you know, those downside guarantees, people can still exceed those. I mean, the last I've heard, that's the way the contracts are written. That doesn't mean that's the most you'll make. That's the minimum you'll make. And you got to think he's a needle mover for them right now. Um, I'm really hopeful and optimistic that, that that momentum can sustain. We know what momentum Cody had, and then he got derailed with the big pec tear. And we just started the show today talking about Aaron Rodgers. It almost becomes like a, a war of attrition. Who will be healthy, you know, at this time or at WrestleMania time? So I'm pulling for all those guys because this is one of the most dynamic rosters in history. And I know that, you know, people who grew up in the Attitude Era, they would argue that and say, oh, no, uh, 98 or 02 or whatever was stronger. But uh, I don't think sometimes we know that until we're out of that and look back. 
I think with the benefit of hindsight, one day people will say, dude, look how loaded this roster was. You couldn't get all those stars on the same card, no matter how hard you tried. Yeah, over two nights. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, here's another one. This is from uh, Michael Eldridge. Hypothetically, had WCW won the Monday Night War and WWE went out of business, would the AOL Time Warner merger still have the same effect on the eventual demise of WCW? That's an interesting question, Eric, because oh, that probably means the end of big time professional wrestling in America too, if that's if that's real. Yeah, I'm not sure I followed the question exactly, but had WWE WCW won the Monday Night Wars? AOL Time Warner merger going through, absolutely 100% WCW would have been off the books. It oh, is, my. It is a, no, it, it would have been. I mean, it, Jamie Kellner, the people in charge, the people running Turner under AOL Time Warner, ab, in Time Warner, they did not want professional wrestling on their schedule. They just didn't. And in, in going, the fusion media acquisition of WCW contemplated, it was in the contract, um, that we would have two hours on Monday night, two hours on Thursday. That's four hours of prime time, which is like beachfront property yeah. for, for a television network, cable or studio, or cable or, or otherwise. And AOL, Time Warner, did not see professional wrestling in their primetime lineup. It wouldn't have mattered how successful or unsuccessful WCW was. You know, I'll go off the deep end here again. I don't want to go too far off track down this rabbit hole, but it is my firm opinion, especially after reading Guy Evans' book, um, Nitro book, um, the financial collapse in many respects was premeditated. Talked before about how in the middle of a year, while I'm overperforming on projections in my budget, in the middle of the year, I've, I'm overperforming. What do they do? They gut my budget. Even though I had commitments and plans in place, and some of those were contractual, they gutted my budget. And, oh, by the way, dumped another show on that I had to produce out of our budget, not the Turner AOL Time Warner budget. Is, is that planning? Or long-term success, or is that planning for demise? I think the I think the the AOL Time Warner merger was a death nail for WCW. Twenty minutes after first meeting, there was just no way we were going to be a part of the primetime schedule. Not going to happen. Uh, Rob Page wants to know if not the Mall of America, where would the first Nitro have taken place? Well, that's a great question, and it's one that we struggled with. Um, I just happened to be familiar with Mall of America because my family was from Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota or lived there for a long time at least. And the Mall of America was like new at that point in time, and it's getting a lot of press. Had it not been for Mall of America, I, I don't know where it would have been because here's again, it's the honest truth. We couldn't fill we couldn't put 1,500 paid fans or 2,000 paid fans in a building for a television show in September of 95. We couldn't. And there's no way I wanted to launch a show, as much heat on it as Nitro, no pun intended, um, as many eyes that were on it, including Ted Turner's, 
I felt a lot of pressure to be able to deliver a product visually that would camouflage the fact that we couldn't, couldn't sell tickets. We couldn't give tickets away. Um, I don't know where it would have been. I really don't. We struggled with that. That's why we ended up on Mall of America. It was not an easy shoot. It was not a fun show to shoot from a production perspective. Think about it. You got all your satellite trucks, all your TV trucks. Everything's out outside in the parking lot, and you're running cable through the largest mall in America. Yeah, that's less than ideal. Is and and oh by the way, the general public is all moving around in your workspace. Yeah, it was not easy, but it was the only option. Jim in Buffalo has a great question about a story we've never talked about. DDP once said on his pod that a road trip to a TV taping to Dothan, Alabama, you two hit a storm that was so bad it was actually raining frogs. <laughs> he said you could recall the story better. Eric, do you remember? And what can you tell us about it? I do remember that. It, you know, DDP and I, whenever we would do TV, now this is back before Nitro, but whenever we, we were just announcers working together most of the time, uh, and we would ride together because we lived right down the street from each other. And typically, you'd you know you get to whether it was Dothan or anywhere within a two hundred fifty mile, three hundred mile radius. Two hundred fifty miles, I think, was the radius we drove to. And Paige and I would ride together. And sometimes in the middle of nowhere, you know, small towns, Dothan certainly being a small town at that point, at least. And we were coming back. It must have been. It was after the TV taping, so it's probably ten o'clock at night. We start heading back to Atlanta and it is pouring and we're, we're going down just a two lane country road. I won't, it wasn't even really, it was paved, but it was not a highway as think about highways and it's pouring. I mean, the windshield wipers are slamming back and forth. We got them turned up at full speed and we still couldn't see anything. And we got into this depressed area. Uh, I mean, I mean, geographically depressed. I mean, it was a low lying area that was kind of flooded and we're driving a little slow because the road was as flooded as it was. And all of a sudden there are frogs jumping over the hood of the car, landing on the windshield. It was like a freaking movie. I'd never seen enemies running over frogs. We're killing thousands of frogs along the way, just splattering them. You could almost feel them. It was horrible. And it actually looked like it was raining frogs because they'd end up in a windshield. You get a frog's got his little leg hooked on the windshield. Lap, 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 lap. Frog's probably screaming in a frog, frog voice. Get me off of here. Bah! Torturing frogs all along the way. It was, it really, it was like the. Well, if you were, uh, maybe had a little CSI Alabama moment in your bathroom, you know, you're trying to trim yourself up, get ready for an anniversary, and now there's just blood everywhere. Maybe that feels like a nightmare. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to cut your balls this fall, not thanks to Manscaped. Football season is back, and you know what that means. Touchdown dances, Sunday tailgates, and epic fantasy showdowns. But fellas, let's not forget the real MVP of this season. Introducing the all-new Beard Hedger Pro Kept by Manscaped, your ultimate luxury beard grooming experience this kit really is your secret weapon for staying sharp on and off the field. So don't fumble this opportunity. Head to manscaped.com and elevate your grooming game with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. You heard that right. 
9 million men or 109 MetLife stadiums. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 83 weeks. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, man, this is time to think about that playoff run beard. You can go ahead and start your season right. I think maybe some of the uh, more interesting facial hair we've seen over the years. Man, I just said Matt Life Stadium a minute ago, too. It makes me think of Aaron Rodgers. I say to myself, self, what if he had the Beard Hedger Prokia in advance? I mean, don't you think that could have helped his chances? I do. I mean, those guys would have been so distracted looking at that badass beard, they wouldn't have been able to take him down. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit is a grooming powerhouse built for precision and style, just like your favorite quarterback. This kit tackles beard touch-ups effortlessly, ensuring that you're always prepped for the next big play. Plus, it has a compact design for easy portability. Seriously, my favorite part of this is the cordless trimmer. It's got a rotary wheel that gives you 20 different hair cutting lengths. So you don't need like a whole drawer full of messy add-ons. Just one guard, that's all you need. Grooming your face shouldn't need to be hard. You can get 20 different beard lengths with just one guard. It's also waterproof. Do it in the shower so you don't have to clog up the sink. Your wife will be happy about that. There's also a titanium coated T-blade here that's tough on hair but smooth on your face. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit is really your go-to teammate for maintaining a sharp and polished beard, whether you're on the field, in the office, or anywhere in between. And after grooming that facial turf, not the artificial turf that Aaron Rodgers hates so much, but the real deal, baby. Show it some love with Manscaped's liquid formulations. You got the beard shampoo, the beard conditioner, the beard oil, and the beard balm. And they're all the keys to feeling victorious and taking your beard game to the next level this year. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 83weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code 83weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code 83 weeks. Your grass is not artificial. Keep it shaved with Manscaped. Uh, here's one from uh, Jake from the Windy City. Contemporaries of yours like Jim Ross and Steve Austin said that if you're not in the wrestling business to be the world champion, you have no business being in it. Do you agree or disagree with this sentiment? I think the first person I heard say that, Eric, was Dusty Rhodes, and I didn't actually hear him say it, but I heard him uh, referenced with that quote uh, when he was talking to DDP. DDP has said often that that's the way Dusty felt. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, though. Where do you land on it? Torn, because I understand the motivation behind it, <clears throat> and if you're if you're not motivated to be the very best at what you do then maybe you're not in the right position. And that applies to everything profession, right? Um, but there are a lot of really, really, really super successful people that had an amazing time in the professional wrestling business for decades or more that were never world champion. So it, it's not like your, your career is meaningless if you've never become world champion. Because you're contributing a lot in many cases. Contribution is incredibly valuable. And I don't know. I, I, I tend to disagree. I tend to disagree. I think a healthy perspective would be I want to do everything I can to become the world champion. I want to improve my game. I want to work on whatever weaknesses I have. 
to my interview skills or my physique or my work in the ring or even the way I conduct myself backstage. I want to check every box I can to get that opportunity. But I'm not going to allow myself to be disappointed in myself or my career choice if that never happens. I don't think Dolph Ziggler right now is sitting at home lamenting the fact he's not the world champion. Right. Because he probably has millions and millions of reasons sitting in a bank account somewhere to suggest otherwise. And I think he truly enjoys what he does. I get that impression. I, I don't talk to him. I get the impression that he really enjoys what he does. So I, I understand it. I can relate to it to a certain extent, but I, I would be careful to instruct people. Like if you can't be world heavyweight champion, or if you don't have that desire, you shouldn't this business. I don't necessarily, I understand it. Let's see what you think about ratings here. Mark Ashworth wants to know, it confuses me how certain talent gets praised or blamed for a quarter hour rating. When it's surely the segment or match before it that's responsible, strong lead-in would give a positive rating next quarter, so why do we still attribute it to the talent performing in the current quarter? You used to be Mr. Ratings. What's your stance on this, Eric? I never really... Look, I quarter hours, minute-by-minute ratings can give you an indication. They can, they can, they can give you a little bit of insight, but they're not the end-all, be-all. And I think what happens so often is, again, people that have never been in the, not the wrestling business per se, although that too, but the television business. If you've never really produced television at a high level in the competitive environment, whether it's wrestling or anything else, the idea of quarter hour ratings are going to say something to you that they, they don't say to people that are actually in the industry. And as the question pointed out, you know, any variation, you know, your lead in the match before you, uh, what was going on on a competitive channel? There's so many variables that when I looked at to commercial positioning and, and things like that, um, quarter hour ratings, I would look at, but I would look at them over an extended period of time. So in other words, if I wanted to, to evaluate a storyline or, or, or talent, and I wanted to get some insight as to what the audience was thinking, not what I was thinking, not what the, the creative team was thinking necessarily, not what the, the, the guys in the locker room or the girls in the locker room, what their opinion was. I wanted to know what the audience was feeling. Much like doing research, as I've talked about ad nauseum here. And I would look at quarter hour ratings, but I looked at I would look at a talent's quarter hour ratings over the over the course of 90 days to see if there was a pattern there. Sometimes the pattern would be, yeah, he didn't get the highest or she didn't get the highest quarter hour rating, but because of the competition and the other variables, even though it wasn't the highest quarter hour on a show necessarily, it did better than expected. So I think if you look at things like minute-by-minute minute ratings and quarter-hour ratings and you really understand what they represent in big picture, a macro perspective, and you look at quarter-hour ratings over, as I said, in my case, it was two, three months, I would look at them and you start to see a bit of a pattern, then, then it had some value. 
But to look at any one show and spend any more than a fleeting millisecond on trying to evaluate minute-by-minute ratings or quarter-hour ratings usually is an indication of someone's lack of knowledge and experience or ignorance. Google it. J.C. Um, Gostilli has a great question for you. In relation to the Punk AEW situation, Eric said that someone needs to, quote-unquote, want to work with another person. Curious why that is. If both parties are under contract and the promoter says a direction is the way to go, aren't the performers responsible for carrying that out? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. However, there's this thing called chemistry. Yeah. And chemistry changes every good chemistry changes everything. So does bad chemistry. And to the extent that from, from a contractual point of view, certainly, and, and from a, just a, straight up professional perspective. Absolutely. And I'm sure there were guys who have worked together that didn't really like each other, but went out as professionals, got the job done, had the match, may have had a great match, but it might've been a classic had the chemistry been right. Mm. Chemistry is really important. It's the, you know, it's the, it's human beings. This is not science. This is not math. There are human beings out there creating emotion. And the stronger the chemistry is between the participants that effort, the better the end result. Good question here from what a fun name this is too. Vince's creepy stash. He wants to know, <laughs> have you seen anything since leaving the business where you thought, man, I would have loved to have been a part of that. I think the, um, cinematic things that we saw during COVID. Oh yeah. The, produ- the producer in me wishes I would have been a part of that. Because that was really cool. And it was groundbreaking. It was born out of necessity as all sometimes many great things are. Um that's probably it, to be honest. Not Dave wants to say uh fantasy booking time, nineteen ninety eight. And you're at the turning point in the Monday Night Wars. You have the ability to bring in one person from the WWF to turn the tide. Who do you bring in and what do you do with them? Do you go for the hype of the rock or the ultimate heel Triple H? I'd go for Pat Patterson. Oh, uh, there we go. Absolutely, Pat Patterson. You didn't need the talent in front of the camera. We had, a, as you put it out a little while ago, we yeah. were so deep in talent that... Yeah, there was no need for another star. There was a need for someone who really could lay out great matches and great finishes. And I would have hired Pat Patterson in a heartbeat. Freaking great question here from Santino. At Tino Bug on Twitter wants to know, if you weren't a fan of WCW, I know you weren't a fan of WCW going to three hours and not a fan of adding Thunder. If you had the option of one happening and the other never occurring, what do you choose? Not producing thunder. Three, three hours is hard, but it's manageable. You're, you're going to get audience fatigue. You're going to get audience drop-off, but you know that going in. You know as a producer, there's no way you're going to be able to hold peak audience attention three hours every Monday night, 52 weeks a year. 
It's a grind and it's very difficult, but it's manageable as long as you manage your expectations along with it. Thunder was, that was the straw that helped break the camel's back. It wasn't the, it was a big part of it. Fun question here from uh, Paul Benedict at Ben underscore E underscore D. When the bell rang at the New York Stock Exchange for the TKO listing, what did you think of Vince McMahon doing the Hulk Hogan behind the ear move? I kind of dug it. That's fine, isn't it? I kind of dug it. it. It put a smile on my face. The biggest thing I noticed is Vince wasn't wearing a tie. Did you notice that? You know, I kind of wondered about that too. I, I wondered if it was that a, a spinal thing. Was he just trying to be the cool guy? Is he trying to look younger? I mean, he's trying new things like with that skinny mustache. Yeah, I mean, he's dyed that. his hair and he's dying his mustache and you know, he looks great. You know, uh, I talked to someone recently who said he's down in the gym working out, you know, the comment was, if you didn't know he had just gone through back surgery, you would never have imagined it. And that's 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 Vince McMahon. But uh, yeah, I know. Look at how many guys were. You know, Vince is not wearing a tie. Ari's not wearing a tie. Dana White's not wearing a tie. Nick Khan's not wearing a tie. I see. I see smiling Kevin Dunbeck there. He's wearing a tie. I don't think I've Triple ever H, seen Nick Khan. Triple wear H doesn't look very happy, but he's wearing a tie. So, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, Vince once again, he looked dapper as fuck, didn't he? In his lavender sport coat, sporting that Errol Flynn mustache. A lot of people pointing that out that uh, they don't think Paul, sorry, Hunter looked very happy in that. I don't do know. Do you call him Paul now or do you call him Hunter? Well, he's no longer a TV character. I guess right there, he's Paul, right? In that photo, he's Paul. Well, he'll always be Paul from this point. I got wrestling. Uh, well, neither does Hulk, but. Yeah, I guess it, it would depend, right? Yeah. You know, because I, I do believe it is usually, like, I have to think about referring him, referring to, to Paul as Paul Levesque. It's a conscious effort on my part. Yes. In a way, it's my way of respecting him for the position he's in now. That's correct, yes. As opposed to what the he character did. he was then. But I think in public, um, you know, I'm going to be over in the UK here in Ireland and Scotland in a, or so. And when it comes up, I'll probably, unless it's in the context of, of Paul Levesque's current role, I'll always Hunter. I, I, um, we haven't, this is Conrad from Huntsville asking a question now. We haven't talked about this, but there's lots of debate about, hey, what's going to happen with Edge? As we're recording this, uh, they removed him from the WWE roster on the website. And then a few hours later, I guess he returned under miscellaneous, but there's been lots of speculation, lots of rumor and innuendo to the point that edge actually had to go correct the narrative and say, no, some of the things that have been reported are not true. I'm okay. If, if, if what happened last night in Toronto was my last match or so I thought I was, but I do have a contract extension in my inbox right now from WWE, but I haven't signed it. I'm not sure what to do. And when that news came out that he was no longer listed on the website and maybe there were a lot of folks inside of WWE who allegedly believe he's AEW bound, the former Sasha Banks, Mercedes, she actually tweeted out the opening lyrics for his theme song. On this day, I can see clearly. Um, what do you think? You think we're going to see Edge 
uh, over in AEW? And, and what effect, if any, do you think that'll have on business? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know Edge well enough on a personal level to try to predict what he may or may not do. I, I know he has options, right? He could certainly go back to WWE if that's, that's his choice. He could pursue his acting career, which he's very good at, by the way. Like, really good at I think he's got potential coming in a pretty major player when it comes to television. And, film. and certainly AEW is an option. I would assume it is. I, I, I don't know him well enough to try to put myself in his shoes. I, I think if AEW is the direction he's going to go, it's probably because he wants to finish off his career with his buddy, Christian. And perhaps they see a, a, a great story and an angle there. I can't imagine any other reason he'd want to go there because it is a step down. It, it just is, you know, from in, in terms of the stage and the presence and the penetration into the marketplace and all, all the real metrics other than the ones that exist in Tony Khan's head. Um, I not sure I would want to end my career that way. Why would you, but again, I'm not him. And here's, here's what I'm really lacking is knowing how strong his desire to perform in front of a live audience is. As a performer, as an actor, I, I do really think he has chops. I really, really do. Um, and has options there. But sometimes people just get addicted to that live performance. Frickin' Rolling Stones just dropped a new album last week. You know, I mean, some people just love performing in front of a live crowd. And if Edge is driven perhaps more by that desire than he is about necessarily how people will remember his career and, and, and how going to AEW may affect that, because let's just be, you know, balls and strikes here. The trajectory of people's career when they go from WWE to AEW has not been great. It's been disappointing for them. Um, and is that how Edge wants to end his career? I, I don't know. I, I wish I did. But here's here's the good news: whatever choice he makes will be the uh, will be a good one. He can't can't make a wrong decision there. Scott Norris has a question that uh, we recently touched on not too long ago. I guess it was last week when we were talking about everything that happened with Lambros. Scott Norris writes, what was Eric's first reaction when he saw the exploding vagina nitro set in person for the first time in 1999? I think you've referred to it as the cat's ass. I think, uh, exploding vagina is uh, a Tony Schiavone ism, if you will. But, uh, yeah. First reaction. Probably run down to the bar and make some drinks. No, I was just disappointed. Yeah. You know, but I was, I was stuck. I remember looking at it. And I was surrounded by probably 20 other people that were in the marketing department and pay-per-view department, whatever, probably 15, 20 people in the room as this presentation was being made. And I, I was really hoping for something great and it wasn't great. And I was just disappointed. And I knew because I had been told by Harvey Schiller, as I think we may have touched on, talked about it is that I had to learn how to delegate and not try to control 
everything under the WCW. And part of that was letting people succeed and letting people fail. And I was disappointed, but I, I was very measured in how I reacted because I knew people were watching me. And I was pretty, I mean, I wasn't hard to read. Not hard to read now either, but maybe even more so. Back then, I was pretty easy. And, uh, okay, everybody's watching me. How am I going to react to this? How does this play into this new evolution of my professional management career here? So I, I reacted as best I could under the circumstances, but I was really disappointed. Well, I, uh, I would think you would say, you know what? Let's head on down to Jocks and Jills. Let's step a few cold ones back. And my only advice to you would be, hey, Eric, before you do that, why don't you have one of these Z-Biotics? Because otherwise you're going to feel miserable the next day. But luckily, there's a game-changing product called Z-Biotics here to help you, Eric. You see, let's face it, a night out with drinks, maybe a late night. We just don't bounce back like we used to the next day. And we have to make a choice. We can either have a great night or a great next day. The Z-Biotics can change all that. You see, Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it most. So drink Zbiotics before drinking, drink responsibly, and enjoy the night with confidence. And I got to tell you, Eric and I first tried this together a few years ago at Podcast Movement. And we knew after a fun day of meetings, hey, we're off the clock. Let's go have some fun. And Eric happened to have some of these in his bag and said, let's try this. And it was fantastic. We had to be up and at them early the next morning on stage doing our panel. And I don't know that that would have been possible as, as hard as we went in the paint that night without our friends at Zbiotics. I am 100% convinced it works. I've used it. I love it. I'm doing a little guy's trip this weekend. I got Zbiotics in my bag. I'm going to pass it around. I'm going to share it. And I want you to do that for your Halloween. All right. Pair your candy and cocktails with Zbiotics to avoid a spooky next morning for you and your friends. Savor the moment. Let Zbiotics do the rest. Go right now to zbiotics.com slash 83 weeks and you'll get 15% off your first order when you use 83 weeks at checkout. Zbiotic is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. If you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money because no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash 83 weeks. Use the code 83 weeks at checkout, 15% off. We want to thank Zbiotics for sponsoring today's episode and my fun weekend. <laughs> yeah, Eric, a uh, real fun question here about a current topic. I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but boy, the internet was a buzz last week. Robbie Rogers wants to know, what are your thoughts on the wrestlers on Netflix? What are your overall thoughts on AEW? I'm sorry, OVW. I haven't seen the project. I've seen clips of it and certainly promotions of it or for it on social media, but I have not seen it yet. And I think OVW in general, um, look, they've been around a long time. They've produced some great talent. There's, there's a legacy there, a legitimate legacy. There. 
and, and a well-deserved one. Uh, I didn't work with OVW in any official capacity at all. Um, very good friends with Al Snow, very integrated into OVW. Um, nothing but respect and affection for Al. He's, he is a great guy and a very talented guy. You know, if you've heard me say this before, you know, some people are, are great at doing something but they're not great teachers. Other people are great teachers, but they're not so good at achieving something. Uh, Al is one of those guys who's great at both. Al is a great teacher. He really, really understands psychology. So I think Al's impact on OVW is, is one that people go back and look at years to come and, and recognize how valuable as it was. But Beyond that, I really, I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge, but they've certainly created a legacy for themselves, haven't they? No doubt. Uh, here's a fun one from Dave McClay. Were you disappointed that you did not do your Hall of Fame speech in front of a live crowd? The <laughs> thank you, Eric Chance would have been awesome. I never really considered that, but that's a good question. Would you have liked to have done it in front of a live crowd, Eric? No doubt. No doubt. And I was still. You know, it still meant a lot to me, you know, to to be inducted into the Hall of Fame just because of the people that are already in there, being recognized by your peers and things like that. It meant a lot to me, but come on, getting out in front of live crowd and, and getting that reaction live, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like it. A live crowd is as addicting as probably any chemical out there some people me it is it's that's the one thing i do miss about being in the wrestling business is that opportunity to get out there there, there may be a couple other little smaller things but that that ability to get out there in front of five six eight ten twenty thousand people having the ability to create emotion and reaction it's an empowering feeling at least i miss Sure, I would have been much cooler. Billy Gunfact on Twitter, always bringing the good questions, wants to know if Eric was able to get Billy Gunn to be the third man at Bash at the Beach in 1996, how would he have booked the invasion storyline when WCW bought the WWF in 1997? Oh, I, I don't even know, man. I'd have to sit down with a six pack and a pizza to figure that one out. I no just I could answer that one on, on the fly. <laughs> I love that question so much. Like, clearly, if you would have went with Billy Gunn instead of Hulk Hogan, you just would have bought the WWF and brought him over in the, a year later. Just so fun. I don't know why I love that question so much, but I do. So thank you, Billy Gunn. Fact. Uh, Robert Peacock wants to know: In late '97, early '98, you often state that you wouldn't listen to executives at AOL Time Warner because before any time. An issue went to Ted Turner. It would always just go your way. Was there a specific event or issue that made you realize he no longer had the power over his former company and you might be in trouble? Did you try to reach out to Ted during that time? I didn't try to reach out to Ted. Um, and I don't think it would have mattered at that point because Ted was so immersed in the AOL Time Warner merger that Ted Turner, now this is Ted saying it, not me. Ted didn't even realize that the rug was being pulled out from under. At that point in time, Ted Turner was a head and had very little control of, of his company. But guess what? I didn't even 
know that until long after I was gone. And people started breaking down the merger, and, you know, describing it as the worst corporate merger in the history of corporate mergers and things like that. That's when all of that information, you know, became available to me. And, and during the time, there was no, there was no one moment. There was no one event, there was no one circumstance that made me think that Ted was losing control. Um, so no, I mean, I, I, I guess the answer to the question is no. You know, it, it was because it wasn't until long after that I found out. And, I've, you know, I guess if I think about it really hard, I, I would have expected, had things gone the way they normally went, 95, 96, 97, early 98, my resistance to corporate would have ultimately ended up by default in a meeting with Ted. The fact that that never happened should have been an indicator to me that something was going on, but it wasn't. It didn't. This is an interesting one from Paul Jones. What is the most unique thing you've autographed for a fan? Nothing really stands out in my mind. You know, I always kind of cock my head and wonder why when people come up to me with baseballs mm. and want me to autograph baseball. Get that one. And it's hard to write on. You gotta write really small and it's curved and supposed to charge extra for the sweet spot. Yeah, but um I can't think of anything else that was really weird. You ever have to sign any boobies? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, there's been occasions where email would come up and Asked me to sign her chest, but it was always, you know, up high. It was never like, okay, baby, pop that thing out. Let's get a look. <laughs> you know, be on <laughs> My goodness. That never uh, David Holmes wants to know, what's the biggest hiring regret that you have talent-wise? Was there one talent that you should have hired, wish you, you had a chance to and didn't, or is there one that you did that maybe you wish you didn't? No reflection on him, but Bret Hart. Okay. Just nothing good came out of it. Not for him, not for us, not for the fans. Everybody lost. That's interesting. What would he have done? Just wrestled Japan a little bit? I don't think I could. Hard for me to imagine him doing anything with ECW. I guess that would have been the only other option in America, right? Yeah. No, I, I, either that or he would have gone back and worked for Vince for significantly less amount of money than he had been promised. But yeah, that was, and I'm sure Brett would say the same thing, you know, maybe the one time we'll agree on something, but um, yeah, that was just a bad situation. You know, when you know, I, I, I strive for an embrace and I'm grateful for opportunities where everybody wins. You now, if there's three parties involved and it's a win, win, win situation, and that's optimal, right? You, you hope for those types of opportunities throughout your career or your life. Sure. With Brett, it was a lose, lose, lose. For that reason alone, I wish I would. Luke Robinson has an interesting question. Was it ever discussed when you guys did the April 2000 reboot of WCW to perhaps move Nitro to another day of the week so you were no longer competing against Raw? And if you had successfully gotten your hands on WCW in 2001, would you have still kept the show on Monday night against Raw? 
absolutely would have kept Monday night, would not have would not have given that up, would not have thrown in the towel. I would much prefer to fight, even if I'm not winning. I'd prefer to fight than to hide. So no, I would have absolutely, I would have fought hard to keep it on Monday night. Had someone suggested to me that we should possibly move it, I would have been adamant. We had another question about Russo. This one comes to us from Golden Serenity. He wants to know, and Eric, I know what your knee-jerk reaction is going to be. Really think about this before you just slam dunk it. What are your best moments working with Russo? Had to be something good, dude. Come on. No, it's not. When you say the best moment, I, I think that period of time when Vince and I first started working together, when I came back to WCW, when we, for better or worse, agreed to, to do the New Blood Millionaires Club thing, there was a period of a couple of weeks where that felt pretty good. The chemistry was hadn't gone bad yet. You know, Vince didn't reveal himself to be what ultimately he was or is or was, whatever. Um, so there was a there was a honeymoon period there of maybe a couple of weeks or a month that I went, wow, this could work out. This, this could work. That would have to be it. Uh, here's the one from uh, Casey. Uh, he wants to know, do you think that social media has created a paradigm shift in the creative process when long-term layered storytelling isn't utilized because this new generation of fans demand instant gratification so they can voice opinions immediately? I mean, that's, that's fair. Do you think wrestling booking has changed because of social media? No, no, I think maybe it did for a while, but as evidenced by WWE, their commitment to, to long-term storytelling, real storytelling, not cosplay storytelling or, or using an angle or the fact that people have wrestled before five over the course of five years and saying they've got history together, relying on that kind of terminology to justify or, or, or sell what you want people to think is an actual story. That, that drives me a little batshit. Now, Story has elements. The elements are consistent. They have been since the beginning of time, since cavemen were drawing pictures of the hunt with burnt sticks on walls. You know, storytelling is, if you really analyze storytelling and and you look at the the classics, you know, Tom DeShane has been on ad-free shows a couple of times with me, and he's he's a scholar. He graduated at Harvard. English literature, wrote a book about Shakespeare's prophylactic characters. If you can believe I even remember how to say that word, it's funny. Not prophylactic um, skulls, prophylactic, different. Um, and Tom and I have had long discussions about the elements of story. And, and Tom, because he's such a wrestling historian, really, um, and he's got a great mind for storytelling, obviously. 
but we'll go back and look at storylines, you know, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. Uh, we've, we've taken a look at that story and, and because of Tom's experience and what he's so gifted at, been able to break down successful stories and draw direct analogies and comparisons to classic literature. Stories at their essence are very much the same. And I think what we've seen out of WWE over the last year or two, maybe more, suggests to me that there's a commitment to the kind of elements and discipline that goes into real storytelling as opposed to independent wrestling storytelling. Two different things. So I think storytelling and wrestling is going to be healthy. It's going to grow. It's going to become more successful. I think eventually AEW will realize that and and kind of adopt the formula and and recognize what they're not doing well and and combine that with what they are doing well. There are things that they do do well. Um, But I don't think social media today is going to impact you said doo doo. Uh, Nathan huh? wants. You said doo doo. Doo doo. I said doo doo. Yeah, you did. You said doo doo. It made me happy. Did I? Was I supposed to say shit? No, I just like when you're on here talking your shit. Hey, speaking of on here talking our shit, we need to give a shout out. We got so many uh, folks hanging out with us in our live studio audience. You know, we talk about that all the time. That, and when you join up with AFS, you not only get all these shows early and ad free, you can be a part of the studio audience. So I want to give a shout out to Lucas and Eric and coach Rosie and, uh, George and, uh, Bobby, man, there's a lot of folks here. Lindsay, um, Jay was here. Maybe still is. Uh, I can't keep up. Adam's here. Greatly appreciate all you guys coming to hang out with us uh, early morning here before Eric has to jump on a plane. Shout out to Kelly and Denovius and the whole cast of characters that are here. We do have some good questions over here. Coach Rosie's got one. Um, because I don't know if you've seen this, but it feels like Kevin Nash had a hard on for LA night. And I don't know if he had a hard on because he was chewing up the blue chew, but let me just tell you, if you want to get a hard on so hard, even a cat couldn't scratch it, blue chew can hook you up. It's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis and Levitra, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. And you might be asking yourself self, will blue chew really get me hard? And as a friend of ours would say, yeah, it sure will. You can take them anytime, day or night. So plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. You sign up at bluechew.com. Yeah. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. Yeah. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And guess what? Yeah. You get your ding dong real, real hard. Yeah. And here's the best part. It's all done online. No visits to the doctor's office. No awkward conversations. No waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA. They're prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. Let me talk to you. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. We got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew. When you use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is 83 weeks to receive your first month free. So visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we want to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. I am excited to ask you this question because I don't know that you've seen it. 
But Coach Rosie wants to know, have you heard Nash troll LA Knight? And I guess, have you heard LA Knight respond on TV? Did you see that the other week, Eric? Yeah, I did. I did. And it, it made me chuckle. Of course. No, it's, it, it's a call back to one of the first promos that I think Kevin did. It might've been the one where he came in for the very first night. He surprised me on stage at the announce desk. Um, look at the adjective. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I thought it was funny. Mildly funny. Um, so yeah, I'm aware of it. I think it's comical. I mean, when I say comical, I think it's worth a chuckle, but I don't yeah. think it's worth anybody getting to, I doubt Kevin Nash is sweating it. And I doubt LA Knight is either. Let, let me assure you, Kevin Nash, don't give a shit. <laughs> could not care less kevin is very secure with kevin yes he yes. is he'll be just fine uh adam arpin wants to know uh, how did it end up where jerry lawler who ran memphis ended up with the wbf and not wcw which was essentially a neighbor seeing the successful program jerry had with brett do you think lawler and hogan could have been a large financial draw in 1994 I have to admit, I never even considered the idea of Lawler in WCW, but I could totally see him as a guy that that Hulk would have been really, really comfortable with. Um, Was there ever any consideration given to maybe doing something with Jerry Lawler in WCW? The only time there was any conversation at all about Jerry Lawler was a conversation that I had with Jerry Lawler about the potential of bringing him in as a uh, color commentator. Mm -hmm. That did happen. And that happened as a result of Jerry calling me. Uh, And we talked about it. I don't remember exactly why it never happened. It's not because I wasn't interested. I think Jerry was really trying to, and this is just me guessing now because we didn't talk about it, but I think Jerry was ready to make a move and leave WWE. I think his heart was still in WWE, but I think he was angry at the time, um, frustrated at the time, and reached out to me to to see if there was even the potential of a landing spot. There was. I assured him there was and that I was interested. And then Jerry made whatever decision he made afterwards and stuck with me. That was the only time Jerry's name ever. Nathan wants to know if you were running a promotion again, who would you choose to be your top star? They can be from any promotion. So you get to pick one guy in the whole landscape today, Eric, who are you picking? Cody. Yeah. Cody. And then, and I say that and it's not because I like Cody personally, which I do not because I have nothing but the ultimate respect for Cody's dad, Dusty, which I do. Dusty's wife, Michelle, very friendly with her. It's not any of that. But if you take, just look at what Cody represents, see what he's doing in public. He is handling being the face of that company because he's not really technically yet but he might as well be Cody is 100% on top of his game at every 
element of the industry that matters the most. And if I had to put all of my eggs in one basket, I'd have a basket of Cody Rhodes eggs. That's that sounded weird. Yeah, but let's move no on way. from that. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey wants to know why do you think there's no Saturday morning wrestling shows? It was a staple when I was young. That's a great question. It is a great question, and it was a staple when you were young, primarily because of history. Saturday mornings used to be one of the most, other than midnight at, to, to, to 6 a.m., Saturday mornings was that time, those time slots that were available for independent wrestling companies to either barter their show, um, which means you, you're Vergania, you take your one-hour wrestling show, you take it to WTCN, or KMSP Channel 9, I think that's what it was at the time, maybe it was KSP Channel 5, whatever. You, you take it to your local television station and say, look, I'll give you the hour. You don't have to pay me anything for it. I just want two or three minutes worth of advertising time so I can promote my live shows, and you can keep the rest to sell used cars or cleaning services or whatever you do locally. That's That was the barter. And that worked when... 80% of the revenue that those independent wrestling territories created was from their ticket sales and their live events. That was the only thing that they had, right? And then as time went on, the television industry changed. Vince McMahon came along. All of a sudden, syndication, that independent teleporter opportunity became less and less and less and less. Now, at the same time, cable television is now expanding. And as cable television is expanding, niche programming starts to become a thing. Saturday mornings was the kids' block. You know? and, and that's where the money was, which made that time slot more expensive and less available for a barter. WWE did some stuff on Saturday morning. WCW did Saturday morning. Uh, the sh first show that I hosted or co-hosted with DDP was, oh, I can't remember what the name of it was called anymore. Oh, my God, I can't come up with it before we leave here. But uh, that show that we did was primarily syndicated in Saturday morning blocks, occasionally Sunday morning. Pro, main event, something like that? WCW Pro. Okay. WCW Pro was the prime syndication show or the major syndication show. WCW main event was a secondary syndicated show. Um, and sometimes we'd get both shows in the same market. One's at nine o'clock in the morning. The other's at 11 o'clock. That happened. But as that real estate became more and more valuable because of the growth of cable and the, the uh, see, division of time blocks and the fact that Saturday morning was now the kids block, that changed everything. And that was one of the first things that went away was Saturday morning syndication for both WWE and WCW. Let's, uh, let's do one here. This is a great question from Big Extra. Hey, Easy e on the Nitro after Gorilla Monsoon passed away, WCW honored him with a 10-bell salute. Gorilla never worked for WCW. It was a classic, classy move you did that night. Was that your idea, or did Bobby Heenan make that request? And did you ever have a chance to meet Gorilla? I don't think I ever met Gorilla. I did meet Lord Alfred Hayes. I may have met Gorilla the same morning when I had my audition, WWE back in 90 or 91, whatever 
who that was, but I can't honestly say it. I think maybe he was in the room, something along those, but I never really had a conversation. I, don't, I never shook his hand. Um, as far as whose idea it was, I, I, I don't know whose idea it was. I, I, may have been Bobby's likely, but it was you know probably because collectively there was a lot of people that were working for WCW at the time that had worked with Gorilla Monsoon and, and thought of him very highly and had a long, long relationship with him out of respect for them as well as Gorilla's family. thought it was the right thing to do, but I can't tell you whose idea. We, um, we got another really good question here about Atlanta back in the day. This is from Cody Avant. Avant. One thing you liked about 90s Atlanta and one thing you hated. Oh, absolute number one thing I loved about Atlanta is I was dead freaking broke when I got the job and, and got an opportunity to work there. The first time I, I went to Atlanta for my audition, the idea of you know, staying at the Omni Hotel in the CNN Center that was attached to or at the CNN Tower, which was attached to CNN Center, was mind-boggling to me. And the first night I got there, I remember I got there on a Sunday night. It was fairly early. And I just went walking around down on the atrium. I look up and I see CNN headquarters right there. You know, it was a glass wall on the inside, so you could see everybody working in there. CNN was a new thing, relative thing at the time. It was the, the world's leader in 24-hour international news. And to think that I had an opportunity to work in the same company that was making all of these major media moves was so exhilarating to me. I almost couldn't sleep that night. I remember walking around down the atrium and there was a store, it was a Turner store right down in the center of the atrium. And it was closed that, that Sunday night when I was there, but I was looking in the window and I saw, you know, Turner broadcasting hats and swag and all kinds of stuff. And I meant, no matter how this, uh, this audition goes, I'm coming down here to buy some souvenirs tomorrow. Win, lose, or draw, I'm going home with some Turner swag just because I had the opportunity to work at a company that was so on the cutting edge of media and entertainment as Turner Broadcasting. So there was a, there was a huge honeymoon period there. Of course, when we first moved there, I'm going to be honest, I, I had a, it was a tough transition for me, moving from Minnesota to Atlanta, because a lot of the things that just personally I enjoyed doing uh, were a little harder to do in Atlanta. Like what? You know, I, well, for example, I used to, German short, hair, German short hair pointers are hunting dogs. They're very high power, tough to train and manage because they have such a high drive. But I had got into breeding and training and competing on a pretty serious level in these pheasant hunting tournaments with dogs that I bred and trained. I loved that for a period of several years. I was obsessed with it. And I moved to Minnesota and, or excuse me, moved to Atlanta. And it's like, well, that's not available. That's just because of geography. So there was a big part of my life that I left behind in Minnesota. And that caused me, a little bit, not much. It wasn't like a horrible thing, but it was like, I don't know how this is going to work. I, I do not like humidity. Right. I just don't function well in a very humid environment. 
And Minnesota was fairly humid during the summer. People don't realize that, you know, but there's mosquitoes there that are big enough to you know, take for a ride. Um, and it's very hot and humid in the summertime. But by September, October, it blows out and it's beautiful. Whereas in Atlanta, it was so humid for such a long period of time that it was really aggravating to me. You know, I'd get up in the morning and I'd take a shower and I'd walk out to the driveway to get in my car. And I, by the time I got out of my air-conditioned house and into the front seat of my car, I was soaking wet and sweat again. Yep, there you go. Welcome to the South. I, I had a hard time with that. Little thing, you know, it's a first world problem, right? But it sucks though. I never, I, n- I never felt completely at home in Atlanta just because of the environment, because of the weather, because I didn't have access to things I like to do and, and all that. But beyond that, there's a lot of things I loved about Atlanta. I love the people. I was just there recently. And one thing is still true people are really friendly in the South, it's noticeable. There's, there's a difference. South. I found myself sitting down and having conversations with people I never met before in a restaurant, and just like I've known them for yeah. ten years. It ain't all it's bad. Different. It, it, it's there's a lot of great things about the South. I just think that for me, at that time in my life, it was a little harder to adjust. I want to do uh, two more. We'll do three more questions, and we'll put a bow on it. Uh, first, Conrad from Huntsville wants to know: What do you think of this uh, Lawrence Epstein quote? about one of Endeavor's goals being to make every UFC fan a WWE fan and every WWE fan to be a UFC fan. He thinks that this is, uh, there's some similarities and that uh, that's an achievable goal. And then, as I understand whoa, whoa, whoa. it. He's, wait a minute. He said it's an achievable goal to make every UFC fan a WWE fan and every WWE fan a UFC. Said, what does this guy do? What's his job? Works with the UFC and Dana White came out and said, it's one of the dumbest things he's ever heard. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Dana stole my thunder. Uh, well, listen, I, I think I'm going to get you some of your thunder back because uh, I got a big finish. But before I do, Jeffrey wants to know, was there ever any thoughts of turning Bobby Heenan heel and having him join the NWO? I mean, I could see that. I mean, he was was my job for crying out loud. Okay. Uh, All right. So last one, I got to ask, I have been tickled by this. It's a lot of fun. And I know you and I both watched all in. We both uh, hold Swerve Strickland in high regard. I'm convinced he's going to be a top guy. I think he's going to be a future world champ. I think it just, he's got it all over him. And his manager is one of the most entertaining characters on television. Prince Nana. Are you familiar with this act, Swerve Strickland and Prince Nana? Have you seen Prince Nana do his thing? No, I have not. So uh, Swerve, as I understand it, raps his own theme song. And, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. And Prince Nana comes out and has a pretty interesting dance. And I just want to show it to you here. I'm going to show you a brief clip of Prince Nana doing his thing. Silva's got that ready for us. So uh, that's the, the the Prince Nana dance for Swerve Strickland because the lyrics are about Swerve and Swerving while you drive and all that. Well, this has created almost like a, a Prince Nana challenge. And folks like Jerry Lynn are in on this now. Folks like the Human Tornado out on the West Coast, they're in on this now. Can we get an Eric Bischoff Prince Nana challenge response here? 
this morning. Yeah. Or do you do you need time to practice? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Eric is a gamer. <laughs> Silva, if you don't see you look- everybody. Look forward to seeing you right here on 83 weeks next week. <laughs> we can't beat that. Tune in next week, boys and girls. Thanks for checking out 83 weeks. Next week we're talking about Eric becoming an EVP and Uh, We're going to make sure that we have that uploaded to Swerve's theme song. Thank you so much for being a good sport. Thanks for all the help. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens next week right here on 83 Weeks. We had a blast at StarCast 6. A huge thank you to everyone who attended. And if you want to relive our stage show experience, you can with Premier Streaming Network. Over 20 stage shows took place StarCast weekend. From comedy shows, design panels, musical performances, talk shows, and more, including a live edition of AEW Unrestricted with CEO Tony Khan. Sign up for Premier Streaming Network today and check out the shows available now on demand and in HD. And if you sign up today, you'll get two months free of Premier Plus. Enjoy the amazing lineup of content that Premier Streaming Network offers, including all five previous StarCast stage show lineups. Hundreds of hours of fantastic wrestling content at your fingertips. Visit StarCastOnPremiere.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about. Get early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad-Free Shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and The Insiders. Plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Chioda and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early, you can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch alongs, Q and A's and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today. And Hey, when you do the first week is completely free adfreeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.